So when we're in a training session or anytime we're interacting with our horse, it's important to be very aware of what we are communicating to our horses. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Willing Equine Podcast. I'll be recording this episode in my car, so the audio may not be super clear, and sometimes I have my kids with me, so if you hear a little bit from them, I apologize, but hopefully you can still enjoy the podcast. I'd love to hear from you after you listen to the podcast, so feel free to comment on any of my social media platforms or email me or even send me an anchor voice message. I think a lot of us will have heard at some point that horse training or interacting with the horses is a conversation, right? That we're having a conversation with them, that we're always communicating, and that, you know, there's different opinions on how to communicate and such, but um, that reference is pretty common in the horse world, especially when you're looking at things like uh, natural horsemanship and such. They talk about using the horse's natural body language to communicate with them, to um, have a fluid conversation with them and such. So I want to present the same idea, but with a different um, view on it. So when we are training with positive reinforcement, we are absolutely always having a conversation with our horses. Any type of interaction with any animal there's always a conversation happening. It may not be the conversation you realize is happening, but there is a conversation happening. And that conversation is based off of cues. Cues that the animal has, or the learner, I should say, but for this specific podcast, we're going to be talking about horses. So that the horse has learned to that mean this or that. So they are actions or sounds or anything that you do that communicates to the horse this or that thing. So it could be that when you reach your hand up, it's going to predict that you're going to smack them so or hit them or such. So your conversation at that point, even if you were intending to raise your hand and just pet your horse, your horse had learned to predict that it meant that they were actually going to be hit. So their conversation, what they were hearing from their side, is that you meant hit, and from your side of the conversation, you were going to pet. And this is where that miscommunication can start to show up. So think about somebody who is learning a second language, right? Even if they're really, really just talented, and, and not talented, but they are skilled in that second language, um, they might misplace certain words with other words. They might... Uh, Um, get the tenses mixed up, things like that. So that would be an example of when we're having that miscommunication moment where y'all's language is not the same. You are communicating with one type of language or one, um, one form of language and then the the horse is hearing another one. So, and this doesn't happen throughout the whole conversation because obviously some stuff is, is passing through, like they understand, uh, back or stay or jump or whatever, but they're not understanding when you raise your hand or when you, um, there's other things that you could do. So to clarify this further, cause I feel like this needs a little bit deeper clarification is that anytime we do anything as far as 
if we're raising a hand, if we're stomping a foot, if we're walking forward, if we're walking backwards, if we're looking at our horse, if we're looking away from our horse, if we're walking away, if we're walking towards them, if we are breathing a certain way, if we are blinking really fast, if we are um, moving quickly, so even just the act of our hands and everything moving faster than normal or slower than normal, uh, these are all part of our way of communicating with our horse and our horses have to learn this conversation in the same way that we learn their form of language too. So we study their body language, we study how what it means when their ears move this way, when their ears move that way, and um, what it means when their eyes seem to get a little bit tenser, what about when their nostrils tighten up, when their mouth tightens up, what does it mean when they tail swish, you know, all these things. We study their body language and they study ours as well. And they learn that different movements from us, different ways of us acting mean different things. Okay, so let's move this idea into the training environment. So you could say that we're com communicating all the time. It's always a two-way com communication and um, that that's how we train. We train through body language. Well, yes and no. So the reason we communicate through body language is because it predicts something else. It predicts a certain consequence. And a consequence, let's remember, it doesn't necessarily mean negative. It could be a positive or punishing consequence. So when you... Um, reach towards your treat pouch, that predicts a positive consequence, that they are going to receive a food reinforcer, right? So that's them understanding our language in that when we reach towards our food pouch, it means food is going to arrive for them. If, however, we reach towards a whip, this could predict a punishing consequence so they understand that us reaching towards the whip means that they need to uh, move away or that they need to be scared or worried right so there's a yes they're responding to us just reaching towards the whip but that doesn't it's not just this arbitrary like it's body language it's communication that's how we train no it's actually that for the horse it predicts something is going to come after it and they have learned what predicts what just like we've learned from our horses we've learned that when they tail swish really hard and lift their back leg in a threatening way that it predicts that they might kick us right so we have learned that there are consequences positive or punishing consequences or I should say reinforcing or punishing consequences to their to their movements to the way that they do things right it either means it's going to be a good outcome or a bad outcome for us and so we've learned that from them too um, and we don't have the same body language we don't do the same things I don't have a tail I don't know about you but I don't I don't have a tail I don't switch my tail I also can't really move my ears so um, we have different forms of body language but anyway let's get back into the training aspect so with training one of the things I really want to address in this podcast is the importance of understanding that our cues the things that we have taught our horses to do or not do um, in response to certain certain cues, certain things, is the body language, is the communication, is the language that we're having with our horse. So everything we are doing from the minute we start interacting with our horse to the minute we stop interacting with our horse, we are cueing to them 
different things we would like from them or different things about ourselves and so on. So when we're in a training session or anytime we're interacting with our horse, it's important to be very aware of what we are communicating to our horses. Now, and and just because we think we're cueing or communicating to our horse a certain thing doesn't mean we necessarily are if that horse hasn't been trained to understand that form of body language, right? Or that form of communication. So we have to make sure that our horses understand what we're trying to communicate to them as well. One of the big things I find, though, is that in a training session, we tend to... I guess the best way to describe it is we have, it's like we have a on off switch for a a light, right? So there's an on off switch and we go into a training session and I'm, I'm really specifically talking about, um, positive reinforcement clicker training, but this could apply to any type of training where we go in and we start our training session and we ask our horse to back up and then follow the target for a little bit. And then, Um, you know, they did four or five rounds and then we're like, okay, we want to go over here and do these, go over these ground poles, or we want to go over here and uh, go grab some more treats. And we just walk away from our horses. We just are like, oh, I need to go get these treats. And they just walk away. The problem is with this is it's like you're having a conversation with a person. It's two people having a conversation or a person and a horse having a conversation back and forth. I cue you, you cue me. We're just going back and forth having this nice fluid conversation. And then all of a sudden somebody just walks away. Like imagine you're having a conversation with somebody face to face. It's this super awesome conversation. You're very engaged. Everything is going great. And the other person just like doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, just walks away. You would be frustrated. Well, first you'd probably be like super confused. You'd be like, what, what just happened? Where'd you go? Like, are we not having a conversation anymore? Like, hello, come back. Um, and then you would start to get frustrated. Probably the more often this person kept doing this, you would start to get frustrated with them for leaving the conversation without warning and, um, just abandoning you just like, we're done. We're done with the conversation. Goodbye. I don't want to talk to you anymore. It'd be rude. Right? So, um, the, So the importance of this, the critical aspect of this is that we need to realize that there is no such thing as we're training, we're training. All right, we just need to go get this thing. We'll be right back. Like that isn't a thing that unless we're trying to be very rude and and to our horses and confuse them, right? Instead, we need to be very um, aware of this and we need to be respectful of our horses and understanding that we're having a conversation with them and let them know what we would like them to do and that what we are going to go do. So for me, for example, if I need to go get something that maybe I needed to get more food pellets, right? And I'm in the middle of a training session and I will start to be aware of when I'm starting to run out of pellets and I will either guide my horse, I will ask them, I'll specifically cue them to walk with me up to where I have my food stored Or I will end this, I'll give them a little break by putting food on the ground right there or in a bucket, let them eat on that while I run really quick to go get food pellets and then I come back. So either way, I'm either communicating to my horse that yes, I need to go get more food pellets. Why don't you walk with me while we continue to have this conversation? Or I'm telling them, hang on, I'll be right back. And I I pause and I give them some food and and I leave to go get what I needed and then I come back. Either way, you can imagine this being a legitimate way to pause a conversation or to have a conversation with a person. If you guys were having a conversation but you needed to go get something from the fridge for some reason, um, you can be like, hey, 
I want to keep having this conversation. I need to go get something from the fridge. Will you walk with me while we go get something from the fridge? And the person will be like, um, sure, cool. Let's go do it. And you guys go and do it. Or you say, hang on, pause. I really want to have this conversation with you. I'll be right back. And then they'll probably like, okay, cool, cool. And then you go and get your thing and you come back. So that's just one area where we need to be very cognizant of the fact that we are, are having a conversation with our horses and that we can't just stop having a conversation. And you're going to create a lot of frustration in your horse. You're going to create a lot of anxiety over you abandoning them and taking away, especially if you're working on food rewards, their, um, their reinforcement access. So this could perpetuate a negative punishment um, situation. So them experiencing negative punishment, you removing the positive reinforcer, the reinforcer that they want as a punisher. It can um, increase or create food anxiety because they never know when you're just going to abandon them and take the food with you. Um, and it can create food aggression too in the training. I've seen this time and time again where because this is a repeat occurrence where the person just kind of walks off from the horse to go get something or to reset. Maybe they just want to like, you know, they, they were doing target training and now they want to go work on the mat. So they need to go grab the mat over here and set it up right here and then have the horse come up here to the mat. They, um, they abandon their horse. They stop the communication. Now there is some level of communication still happening because it's a rude communication. It's you saying, um, it's you saying we're queuing, we're doing great, we're all in sync, everything is in line, we're having a fluid back and forth conversation, and now I'm just going to walk off. Um, you could even think of it as like maybe you're having a conversation with somebody in the living room, and then all of a sudden they just stop, they walk off to the kitchen, and they just stand there and expect you to come meet them again in the kitchen and have this conversation. If somebody were to keep doing that to you, you'd be like, what on earth is going on? You're crazy, and this is so rude, right? Like, tell me what's going on. Like, either communicate to me that you want to move to the kitchen or end the conversation or something, right? Same thing with ending your conversation. We really need to be careful and respectful of ending our conversations with our horses. We need to have very polite goodbyes or even just break times where we tell them, this was a great conversation. I loved talking with you. I loved training with you. Um, I do need to end the session now. I do got to go. But here, um, I'm going to leave you a bunch of really awesome stuff. Um, some stuff to think about, some stuff to do, and then we'll catch back up tomorrow, right? So you might even think of it as like a conversation with a, a counselor or a teacher or something where they kind of give you something to work on um, or to think about or to have after your conversation, some handouts, some book recommendations, things like that. Obviously, I'm stretching a little bit for a human comparison, but for your horse, what this means is leave them some food. Leave them um, hay, alfalfa, hay pellets scattered on the ground, uh, carrot slices scattered on the ground, um, a bucket of soaked mash uh, hay pellets, so like soaked hay pellets, something to continue, or an enrichment activity. That'd be awesome, like a food dispensing ball or something like that. Something to continue to do when you have ended the conversation so it's not you taking away their opportunity for reinforcement and not just you rudely walking away. We need to tell them we had a great time. We're respectful of the fact that they wanted to continue to have a conversation, but that it's time for us to be done. Um, and here's some, something for you to make it better. So we are having <laughs> these 
conversations, whether it's traditional or with positive reinforcement, though. So I know I just spend all that time explaining a positive reinforcement training session, but I think it's important also to translate this over into traditional handling as well, because um, a lot of us still are in situations where we do some traditional handling with our horses still, or we do most of it or all of it. And you guys are just listening to this podcast in hopes of picking up stuff to insert into your own horsemanship, which I think is great. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I have been sick with a cold. So if I cough or sound funny, I apologize, but I really wanted to get this podcast episode out to you guys anyway. So in traditional horsemanship, I think it's a little bit easier for us to understand this concept because we are not, um, because all of the cues that we have in traditional horsemanship and all of the ways we interact with our horses, before we understood the science and everything of how horses learned and behavior, you know, behavioral shoot, oh, operant conditioning and classical conditioning and all of these different things. Before we understood all of that, we kind of jumped on this bandwagon of that our natural behavior became the cues to our horses of what they were supposed to do. With positive reinforcement, we can still achieve this, but it looks a little bit different because um, we're having to, we do a separate action it's a, it's a separate process. So personally, I find it pretty natural now because I've been doing it for so long for me to communicate with my horses through a positive reinforcement approach where, um, they perform a behavior or I shape a behavior and then I click and then I reinforce them. And then they, I associate a cue and then they start to learn that when I cue this specific thing, that it means, um, that if they perform this behavior, then there's an opportunity for reinforcement. So with traditional horsemanship, the cue is the pressure itself. So that's part of it too, which is a little bit different that we have made all of our cues in traditional horsemanship, negative reinforcement, pressure and release, all of that. The cues themselves are the application of the pressure. So you put your hand on your horse's chest and put pressure there until they take the step back, right? And then as soon as they do, you take your hand off. So your cue is the pressure. We, we use physical communication, physical contact, physical pressure to cue. And then we release that pressure. We release that cue when the horse has done what we wanted. Whereas with positive reinforcement, it's different. The horse learns to do the behavior first, then we, and they don't learn it with pressure and release. They don't learn it. You don't push your, put your hand on your horse's chest, wait for them to back up and then click and then reinforce that's, and then release your hand too. Um, that would be com combining where you're combining negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement, which some trainers do this successfully and more power to them. Personally, I don't train that way. Um, instead, what we do is we use either different shaping techniques or free shaping, targeting, luring, or um, capturing to create the behavior first, independent of what we are doing. And then we decide, okay, I want my horse's cue for backup to be that I touch them on the chest. And that's great. You can still have a tactile cue for a positive reinforcement trained behavior. And we do, and the, and I'm explaining the difference, but so you first train the backup. So the horse is just backing up all over the place, right? They're just backing up left, backing up right. They're just backing up like crazy. Um, that kind of happens a little bit in the beginning, or you could use targeting to cue, to get the backup first. And then we say, okay, we want the cue to be 
touching on the chest. So then when the horse is getting ready to back up, I gently touch them on the chest, they back up, I click and I reinforce them and I've already removed my hand along at this point. Um, and so we start to do this over and over again. And then we start to what's called stimulus control. So this is the next aspect I wanted to get into with, pos with the positive reinforcement communication. And I will branch into this in just a second, so I'll get back to that, the stimulus control. So just know that at this point then, so we don't get the backing up just happening all over the place, we do put it on stimulus control. Um, and where we, that means that the cue, that the horse only performs the behavior when cued and doesn't do it outside of being cued, right? And they do it the same way every time. So we'll get back to that. But back to the traditional training. Because all of our natural tendencies as far as body language, when we want something to move, we push on it. When we want something to back away from us, we walk into it. When we want something to move forward, we drive it from behind. When we want something to stop, we pull. Like these are all pretty natural, I feel like, responses or actions for a human to do in in everyday life. Um, so we have taken these and we have created or made them the cues the way that we communicate with our horses and so um, we use our own natural tendencies for body language for the way we communicate to communicate to our horses and our horses start to learn this form of language this is when you start your horses when you start them under saddle all that you're teaching them your language and yes, you're supposed to still pay attention to their language, but really horse training, especially in a traditional sense, is all about teaching them to understand our language. Whatever we have decided our horsemanship language is, um, that is really what horse training is about, is teaching them our language, especially in traditional and, and uh, natural horsemanship approaches. So, because of the nature of negative reinforcement and the pressure and release aspect because and it's it's happening out of avoidance the horse's behavior is happening out of avoidance they are avoiding the pressure they're looking for that release they're waiting for that release they're doing whatever it takes to get that release the absence of pressure is communication to the horse that they are doing the right thing that because there's no more pressure being added because they are um and especially punishment too if there's no punishment being added then they're like okay phew, i'm good so they're in that relief zone where they're just like okay we're good we're good so don't don't do anything that will uh screw this up right so situations where you walk away from your horse or you stop quote-unquote communicating with them in that moment you're still communicating with them in a way but you're communicating with them that they are doing the right thing because you've removed the pressure so it's a little bit different than the same situation that would happen with positive reinforcement training because with positive reinforcement training you've just totally abandoned the conversation altogether and because you fail to give your horse a cue as to what you would like them to do which gives them the opportunity for their reinforcement with negative reinforcement aka traditional training and natural horsemanship and all that pressure and release your absence of cues is relief and and um, a release of pressure so it, it's the the thing that they are looking for they want that they like that so 
it's a little bit different conversation you're having. And I think when we transition over from traditional training into this positive reinforcement world, that right there can be challenging to understand that leaving your horse, walking away from your horse, um, them even just standing there and being expected to just stand there. It is not the same thing as with the traditional world. You have to train those things. You have to cue them. So if I want my horse to stand here with me and not do anything, I have to cue that because they are looking for opportunities for reinforcement and it is not a relief from pressure. They want to be cued. Whereas with the other, with traditional training, they don't necessarily want to be cued because it's pressure that they have to find relief from. With positive reinforcement, they want to be cued so that they get their, can get an opportunity to have their reinforcement. So you cannot just end your conversation or put breaks in your conversation without cueing to your horse what you're doing. And this is critical. This is critical for helping your horse feel content and happy and relaxed in your training sessions. Your form of communication, your language with your horse, your conversation, the respectfulness of your conversation with your horse is critical for achieving that mental state for your horse, for achieving a mental state where your horse knows that you are a reliable and predictable partner to have a conversation with and you are not just going to rudely walk off or you're just not rudely going to take away their opportunity for reinforcement and you're not going to just completely keep them in the dark and not cue them or talk to them and leave them guessing. Um, which then brings me to another aspect, which is that with something with positive reinforcement, we've got a shaping process called free shaping. Free shaping is where the horse uh, is basically essentially through the environment can cued to offer behavior. So they just kind of start offering different behaviors and you click and find one little piece of something that you want and you start building on it until you've got the desired behavior you want. This process can get really frustrating for your horse and can be a really sloppy form of communication if you are not careful and skilled with your application of the clicker and your building of criteria and um, your rhythmic reinforcement process. So, try, um, so with free shaping, and I'm not going to go into it fully because this could be a whole podcast on itself. With free shaping, your criteria needs to be so small that your horse hears a yes right away, and then a yes right away, and then a yes right away. And so they are never left in this state of confusion where they're like, what does she want? Why won't she click? Why? I just don't understand. Do I do this? Do I do this? And it creates this bubbling up of frustration and anxiety in the horse, and we don't want that. Instead, we want that the horse is standing there on the other side of the fence, maybe. This is how I do my free shaping. I have a horse on in protected contact, and there's usually a bucket or a pan right there, and that's my cue to my horse to offer for behavior. Um, my horse will like, let's say I'm looking for a, um, let's say I'm looking for a step to the right, or I'm going to start shaping a turn on the haunches. Um, so I will purposely set my horse up to be facing towards the fence line. So it makes it easier for this. And then what I'll start doing is if my horse is looking at me and then just barely flicks an eye, basically over to the right, click, and then, and then they'll go, okay. And then they'll try maybe something else, but then they'll come right back to that. They'll, you know, they might turn a little bit left or they might have it straight forward again. And then they'll flick it a little bit to the right click. 
and then a little bit more to the right click and then we'll build and it's fast it's fast like that and so they're almost always hearing yes 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 now there will be times where they go okay that wasn't it maybe this yes but it should never get to okay that wasn't it all right that wasn't it that wasn't it all right what is it woman you know like it should never get up to that point and this is again clear communication respectful communication with your horse and having that language the clicker being your form of language at this point where you're shaping that behavior and the horse understands what's going on and what you're doing. So the last point I want to talk about is stimulus control. Now, this is technically a thing with negative reinforcement traditional training, but it's an even bigger thing with positive reinforcement because like I mentioned before, we start off with the horse offering behavior, right? So they're offering behavior, they're getting reinforced for it, and there's no cue. There's no cue for the behavior and they just are offering it and offering it and then we associate a cue with that behavior. Great. Now the horse starts to say and recognize that this thing, whether it's touching the chest or saying trot or whatever it is, whatever your cue is for that behavior, once it's so that becomes connected with the action of performing X, Y, or Z behavior. But then we have to teach them that we only want them to do X, Y, or Z behavior when we give this certain cue. And not a different behavior. Not, uh, and, and we don't want this X, Y, Z behavior to happen when we give a different cue, right? So we want the same cue to elicit the same behavior and for it to happen the same way it happened that last time and the time before and the time before. So this is called stimulus control. And we have to develop a really strong, we have to develop really strong stimulus controls for our behaviors that we're teaching so that we can use our language, the cueing, in a training session in a way that is productive one for us for the training but also re this will reduce frustration and confusion for your horse so if your horse understands your cues and understands what your um what you're cueing and when this will improve your level of communication with your horse without it we really don't have a whole lot of communication it's just this big guessing game your horse is just offering whatever behavior was most recently reinforced and we'll do it however many times and then when that's not reinforced they'll offer something else and then when that's not reinforced they'll offer something else and you can imagine by this time your horse is pretty annoyed because it's not getting reinforced and this is where we start getting extinction um, and rage and things like that so when I have horses that are in training sessions, when I'm working with students and stuff and, and where, uh, or consults where the horses appear very frustrated during training, a lot of it can be traced back to a lack of stimulus control, a lack of the horse understanding what's being cued and when. And then the other part is like I've mentioned earlier in the podcast where, um, there's, there's, um, not a fluid conversation. There's lots of abandoning of the horse in the middle of the conversation and there's mixing of other types of communication, other like switching. I would say like if you were using 
um, traditional training and positive reinforcement in my, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking that's kind of like in the same conversation, having, you know, speaking French and English, and then in the same sentence, even some of it's French and some of it's English. That's just confusing. It's confusing and it's not clean. It's not consistent. It's not predictable. And it's just more cognitively challenging. So that's personally why I don't mix. I, I try and stay with one form of communication for my horse so they know what to expect and they know what's being trained and that it's, um, and it's clear communication, right? So I, uh, stimulus control, oh my gosh, it's whole own podcast. Um, but the best, I just really quickly, <coughs> excuse me, really quickly, stimulus control can be achieved. And this is just a super simplified form where you have been creating a new behavior, right? So you've been reinforcing it happening over and over again. Then you associated your cue and you're like, okay, when my horse backs up, I want to touch the chest. And that's what the cues, the backup, right? But you also have a walk on cue. So, or a stand stay cue. That's something else I teach my horses so that if I need to walk off, if I need to go get something, whatever, I can cue them to stay there and I can walk off. So in this example, we're going to use, um, a walk on cue and a stand stay cue and a backup cue. Okay. So you've been teaching the new backup cue. Your horse loves backing up now and it wants to back up all the time. So you're going to, and you've already associated the cue. So you spent a lot of time like, um, the horse was about to back up and you said back up and then the horse backed up, click reinforce. And you did that over and over and over and over and over again. Okay. Then you get to the point where you want to put on stimulus control so your horse isn't just on autopilot as far as backing up. Because you could stop saying back up and your horse will still back up at this point. So what you're going to do is you're going to say you're going to cue the back up and the horse will back up, click reinforce. And then you're going to cue something else that has been highly reinforced and has been has great stimulus control stand stay. So you're going to say stay and your horse is going to be like, Oh wait, we're not backing up. And you're going to quickly reinforce the stay and you're going to reinforce it again. And you're going to reinforce it again. And then you're going to say back up and then, or touch the chest and the horses then be like, we might pause for a second and be like, Oh, are we back to this? And then it'll start to back up and you'll click and reinforce it. And you're going to start bouncing back and forth like that until your horse starts to understand, okay, this means this. And this means this, aha, I've got it. So, um, Stimulus control is really important, and that's how we teach all of our cues. And if it's sloppy or inconsistent, and that goes into the development of the cues, and you really, really, really need to be very consistent with your cues. You need to select your cues beforehand. So before you go into training behavior, decide what you want to do, practice it even, write it down, keep it simple. It needs to be something super simple. Try not to do a, when I turn towards my horse and touch the chest and say back up and walk into them, that's their back at cue. That's too much, too complicated. Try when I touch the chest or when I face towards them or when I say back up. One of those is the cue for the backup. This will be easy to remember, easy to duplicate, and simple for your horse to understand and simple for you. So keep it simple. Keep it um, easy to replicate. Um, and this sometimes can be a problem with vocal cues because our voices change. We get hoarse. 
Um, we, it's early in the morning versus late at night. We get a cold. Uh, sometimes our mouths are dry, things like that. I've even had language or accent differences. So I'll have students that come in from out of state or out of the country and they'll try and say trot. And my horses will look at them like they have two heads because it has a totally different accent. It doesn't even sound like my trot word. So verbal cues can be challenging in this aspect. I'm not saying to don't train verbal cues because I do all the time. I find they're really easy to transfer to under saddle training. Um, but just be aware of the fact that they will have a hard time transferring to somebody else, man versus woman, deeper versus higher voice, whatever. Language differences, accent differences, all of that. Child versus adult will have a hard time transferring it because they sound different. Whereas a visual or verb, uh, physical or tactile cue are usually a little bit easier to generalize. Um, not all the time, but usually. So and this applies for traditional and um, natural horsemanship and all that too, um, because if yours is a verbal cue in that sense, um, again, your horse may not understand it when it goes to a new person. And same thing with tactile cues as far as like one of the big popular ones I've noticed is that the leg cue. So we'll have an adult on a horse and their leg hangs down really low and we teach them all of our leg cues that way. And we put a kid on them or a shorter person and their head, their leg comes up much higher. And then we want to give all the leg cues, but it's in a totally different spot on their body. It's unfair of us to expect our horses to understand those big differences um, when they don't actually speak our language. So it's like some languages have differences in how they're spoken depending on what area of the country you're in or um, even if you like across the border there's a variation I'm not super knowledgeable in languages and the different cultural differences and all that I just know that sometimes there are differences in the way they are said or how they are said it or what certain words mean here and certain words mean there um, and slang to there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, we've got just in the U.S. I mean, in Texas, we say y'all and up way up, way up north, they say use guys or whatever it is. And, um, and they mean the same thing, but they sound different. They're different words. And if you didn't understand, like if, okay, I guess I should say it this way. That is an easy thing for me to understand because I am a native English speaker. I understand that there is different slangs for different areas of different ways of th saying things in different ways, areas of the country, but it's still all under the English language, right? But if somebody from who spoke French or Russian or whatever came and started to learn English, it would be hard. It might take them a little longer to figure out the difference if there is a difference or whatever between you guys and y'all, right? So with our horses, we have to realize that they are not native English speakers. <laughs> they are Russian, French, German, whatever. And they're trying to figure out this crazy language that we have. And so those slight differences that do not seem so crazy for us, like we're just like, okay, all right, fine. It's a variation of the same thing. It's not that crazy for us to make that jump right there. But for them, they're just like, wait, what? Like, hold up. Like, I need to figure this out. So we need to be respectful of that. Um, for our horses, and we need to understand that, and we need to train and prepare for it, and um, be very cautious, like the whole episode said, and just to kind of sum it all up, is clear, consistent, well thought out, planned, and respectful conversations with your horses 
will help reduce frustration for both you and your horse in your training, especially when it comes to positive reinforcement training because they are so eager to know what we want and to have an opportunity to engage and earn that reinforcement and to participate with us. So, and especially also, I think the, the reason it's so important with positive reinforcement isn't because positive reinforcement is so way out there and different. A lot of it is because most of us are transitioning over from traditional training. So we are relearning. So, um, I think, you know, two, three generations from now, when hopefully most people are training with a, at least a more positive reinforcement focus, it will be natural. It'd be normal for us to communicate in this way. And so it won't be this thing that we're having to pay very close attention to. And it'll just be this. Yeah, of course you would never just leave your horse in the middle, you know, just walk away. But for now it is, and that's okay. We just need to be aware of it and we need to be respectful of our horses. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. On there, I have a really extensive blog. I'm a very prolific writer. And I also have a an FAQ page. And the FAQ has all kinds of things. It has questions and answers about training and about my training specifically, as well as just general about working with positive reinforcement. There's also sections on there about health and um, behavior. So all of that. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out and I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.